2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Doug, did you happen to see that interesting article about he wants to retire, but she doesn't?
1: <laughs> you won the, the article that talked about yes. husbands and wives arguing? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Well, if what? I say no, I didn't see it, then we've got an argument started, Linda. <laughs> well,
2: the, uh, well, you did see the article, I did but see I the thought article. it was interesting. I, it it's, was a great uh, article. Um, it's it's what's happening in the world, and as people are planning to retire, sometimes when to retire can be the dilemma.
1: When or if. Let's say you've been managed to <laughs> keep your marriage intact uh, by the time you hit your middle age. Maybe it's your second marriage, but somehow you've been able to hold it together Odds are, so said the article, your spouse won't feel the same way you do when you want to retire. Over 62% of the people disagree. The ones that were interviewed disagreed about the timing of retirement. They talked about this one lady named Deborah who was 55 years old, an attorney. She practiced law, family law. Her husband was 62, a programmer, and he was doing a two-hour commute to work to get to work every day he was burned A long out long commute he was tired he said when he was asked when would you like to retire he didn't say yesterday but he said as soon as possible
2: and what did his wife say well she said no go i've told him he has to stay working until the last of our uh children is out of college in four years so for for the wife it would be annoying not to have someone pulling their weight. and she realizes that even though he's older, on a personal level, she doesn't see it as a positive if he stops working because her perspective is he'd just putter around the house.
1: I've heard that a lot, and I don't know where it comes from. Uh, some people remember their their own father, maybe, who retired, and uh, so they get this idea. That uh, it's healthier to keep working, and when you slow down, you become less productive, less interesting, less healthy, less uh, financially robust. And so a lot of uh, the female uh, is that were, females that were interviewed for this article said they want to work as long as they can. And uh, a lot of the men, interestingly enough, uh, thought that the wives' views were sort of warped. Uh, they wanted to uh, (laughs) they wanted to quit they wanted to just (laughs) Uh,
2: well yeah it it was interesting he said she sees me riding in the saddle until the very last day when I drop from the saddle (laughs) and my body feels the way it feels so she can't really know how I feel and how I function. If you
3: want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000, and we will get started. We'll make a list of
1: the questions that are on your mind. It's it's uh, it's something to joke about when you when you talk about it like this, Linda, but in real life, I have seen over 20 years of people coming into my office, as you know, and having this same disagreement about what to do Uh uh, if we retire he's been offered a package if i take the quote quote the package if i take the offer to take early retirement what am i going to do all day how am i going to make it
2: some folks uh, decide on a second career maybe a part-time job others are content to just hang out with the grandkids. Well, are there some statistics, some interesting statistics, Doug, regarding uh, how couples negotiate when when to start planning for retirement?
1: Almost all of the research that's coming back now says it is a big, big disagreement. 62% of the couples don't agree on when is the right time to retire. 73% disagree on whether they've got a regular um, retirement income plan worked out 47 percent disagree on whether they're going to continue working while they retire i mean and then 33 percent don't even know what kind of lifestyle they're going to have after retirement and i would say that's probably the one that i like to hone in on the most because when clients come into our office i like to interview them right off the bat and have you know I, i like to get it all out on the table you know uh What are you you going to do all day long? I like to ask each one of them. And where do you want to go? Do you want to stay in North Carolina? Or do you think maybe if you don't have to go to work all day, maybe you could enjoy six months in the Caribbean or in the Mediterranean? Some would love it. Some say, well, I think I would like to try maybe living in another. Matter of fact, didn't you tell me, Linda, that you recently met some folks that were doing? Uh... I met
2: some. Yep, they uh, were spending uh, three months uh, visiting family and having a family reunion, and then where was that? It was uh, in the Middle East. In three Israel. months, three mm-hmm.
1: months over in Israel, and and, then and back th- where? Th- uh, back in Belgium. Back in Belgium. I know a lot of a lot of uh, ones they call snowbirds will do three and three, six and six, and so forth. But the real question that I think a lot of folks uh, come to grips with eventually is what am I going to do all day? What, what type of lifestyle do I expect to occupy myself with? Uh, I have some clients they love going to museums and they love exploring new museums and every trip there's another one. Art and,
2: art and history and science. And it's nice to, uh, to travel and some like to go biking and hiking. And so uh, there's so many wonderful things that you can do to explore and to
1: enjoy that that part of your life. But you come down to the question of suppose you can't come to any agreement about when it's going to happen. Then, you well, have, go ahead.
2: You know, the debate. For some couples, like uh, as was quoted in the article, is is at a standstill for now, and so you know, in some cases, uh, the wife is worried that uh, the husband will just quit too soon, and then start having fun, and they won't have sufficient funds, and that's where the dilemma uh, really needs to be addressed. Doesn't it? Doug? Yeah,
1: I like to get the money issue off the table. That's a pretty easy one to solve. Can we or can't we become financially independent?
3: Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: Once we have that one answered with a yes, we can, now do we want to do it? and in or many let's take
2: baby steps towards
1: That's exactly right. Let's sometimes take a 2 week trip or a month. That's right. Trip, and some, right? and sometimes it's a well how about just cutting back a little bit on the work? Mm-hmm. If I if she feels that he's just going to uh, be a disaster by quitting totally, how about cutting back? How about cutting back to working maybe just 2 or 3 days a week? or a few hours a day, quitting on one end but coming back as a consultant. I've seen many, many of these through the years where there's just some sort of negotiation. Once you know you don't have to work for financial need, then you negotiate with your employer what you are willing to give back to them to keep peace in the family. But to take baby steps, like you say...
2: You know the day Doug, the the days when a husband automatically retires at sixty five with a corporate pension and his wife dutifully follows him to a golf course in Florida, they're officially
1: over. <laughs> Those days are gone. We don't see that anymore, mainly because of the shift in the pension market or in the retirement market. Those defined benefit plans. They are; uh, they're few and far between. And those wives that had no, that had no income and didn't have a profession of their own, they're gone.
2: And part of it is that women uh, are having children later in life, and maybe working, you know, starting a career later in life, and you know, educating their kids later in life. But if you're out there listening tonight and you're joining us on Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, we'd love to hear your questions. What's your dilemma? What's your situation? Um, Are you planning on retiring? And what are some of the questions that are on your minds? If you'd like to call us in the office, uh, if you have uh, something in your situation you'd like to discuss with us and possibly schedule an appointment, you can call us at 919-872-7000. That's USA
1: 7000. And you can also do com. Visit our website. Okay, John, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Hi,
4: John. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm a 53-year-old, married. My uh, wife is 48. Uh, I was able to uh, accumulate, uh, hopefully, a, a good enough uh, 401k plan. To the extent I'm thinking, can we retire uh, at 55? So,
1: Give us some of the facts, and let me see if I can help you out, uh, John, you said you're 53, your wife is 48. That's right. All right. And, and uh, let me ask you a couple uh, questions to get some quick facts. All right. Okay. Number one, uh, what is in non-retirement investments at the present time?
4: Non-retirement will be uh, cash, uh, a trading account. And How much is in
1: around. cash accounts?
4: Yeah, about uh, 200000
1: Two hundred thousand in cash accounts. You haven't invested, or it's in CDs, or it's not well, money markets.
4: Yeah, various. Uh, I have some technology stocks.
1: No, 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 no. That's not. That's not a cash account. That that that's a stock. I'm talking about when I said cash accounts. I meant money, money markets market. and CDs and savings oh, okay. accounts. All
4: right, that'll be somewhere around 50000 uh, fifty thousand instead of two hundred.
1: Okay, fifty thousand in cash accounts. Now in stocks and bonds and mutual funds that are not retirement. What's over there? Yeah, somewhere around two hundred. Okay, all right. So we have two hundred thousand in non-qualified investments and fifty in cash. So we've got about two fifty non-qualified. Now let's go to the what we call the qualified side. What is in your? You say it's a four hundred one K. Is that what you said? That's right. All right. How much is in your four hundred one K? About one
4: and a half million right now.
1: That's very good. A million and a half, and in a four hundred one K. And your wife, what does she have accumulated in her retirement?
4: Uh, just about in a hundred thousand or four one K because she quit her job a long time ago. All right. So whatever she's had now is what she has.
1: <clears throat> All right, now. Of, do you have any idea you have any children at home where they finished?
4: Yes I do. Uh two young ones, uh, thirteen and ten.
1: Thirteen and ten. Do you have any idea what your present living expenses are, including the two kids? Uh, somewhere around eighty thousand dollars a month. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we need 80000 a year for the family income. All right, so the first thing is, uh, I'm sure you're wondering, because you're under 59 and a half, what happens if you actually attempt to do it, right? Right. Well, wh- he- here's the good news. The good news is, if you retire, you can do a rollover tax-free from your 401k to an IRA. Okay. Your IRA then will have a million and a half within it. Your wife can do the same thing, and hers will have a hundred thousand in it. You've now removed them from any control by any employer, they're totally under your control. All right. All right. Then you can go ahead and invest that million and a half in an investment portfolio. We do this all the time with our clients invest it in an investment portfolio. That's conservative, balanced, and designed for income. So let's say that we want to go ahead and have it structured in such a way that it could give maybe, let's say, uh, 4% income. Let me use that number for a second, and I'll show you what you could do.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website. Linda dot com. That's DougandLinda dot All
1: right, that could go ahead and give you sixty thousand a year if somehow you could deal with another problem. Mm-hmm. Then, on your non-retirement monies, you've got two hundred and fifty thousand there. Right. The two hundred and fifty thousand that could be designed to give you about a. Five percent return, so on the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars time I mean a five percent yield income side five percent that could go ahead and give you another fifteen thousand, knowing that you could get about seventy five thousand and on your wife's side, you could get a little bit out also, but let's leave her part alone for the moment, so you could probably get this thing to where it would give you maybe. 75 to 85,000, depending on how you designed it. But then right away, your question is well, what do I do because I'm under 59 years, 59 and a half years old? What do I do about drawing money from my IRA? Right. There is a section in the Internal Revenue Code which we use for people like you, and it's called Section 72T, which allows us to draw money from your IRA without paying any 10% penalty tax at all. Mm, That's nice. It is nice because when we use this, we then go ahead. Now, you have to do this with the help of a certified financial planner who knows what he's doing and how to do it, and I'll be happy to go ahead and arrange a meeting with you and walk you through all the mechanics of it. But for the radio show, let me say this. 72 T says that if we set a fixed monthly payment that comes out for five years and is never changed then you avoid that penalty completely mm-hmm. if you happen to need more than five years to hit 59 and a half which you do you need six and a half years right then it's the same law we just cannot change it for six and and a half years. So what we have to do is we design this thing in such a way that it will go ahead and give you that income need and still meet the tables. There's certain uh, actuarial tables we have to use to work it out. But then you design. The nice thing is it's IRA. You are totally controlling everything. No one is controlling or looking at this other than you. And so you're, you're doing the whole thing, or well, I say you, you with your financial planner. This is what we do in our office with clients. We design the investment portfolio. Altogether, I would start with a million five plus 250, it's a million 750, another 100, a million 850, and I could see very easily the whole million 850. That would not have a difficulty giving you 92000 a year altogether.
3: If this sounds like you, definitely call during the week at 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000.
1: We then have to go ahead and recategorize your expenses according to your recurring monthly expenses and your non monthlies. For example, when you talk about what your expenses are being 80 some thousand, Actually, there are some expenses like clothing and gifts and vacation, travel. Those things are not regular monthlies, right? Right. On the other hand, there are regular monthlies like uh, your food, your groceries, how many times you and your wife go out for dinner, you know, uh, your gas for your car, your regular monthly expenses. Do you have a mortgage in your home? Yeah, still. still Okay, so that's a regular monthly. So we want to recategorize your expenses into your monthlies and your non-monthlies, and we do, and we work around the 72T on that basis. But it would be very easy to do. Be happy to go ahead. If you go to our website, type in com. You can have a chance to go ahead and see us uh, as, as we perform in our office. There's a lot more information there. And from there, you can call the office, schedule an appointment if you like, and we'd be happy to go ahead and uh, walk you all the way through the whole thing and help you... Achieve financial well, you independence. You're welcome.
4: That's very nice. I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to brag about it, but I, I hope I'm doing the right thing, and hopefully oh. I am a little bit better uh, than well, what you're, well, what I'm hearing about.
1: Well, no, you're able to do it. We've had many people just like you who have done the same thing. Some and we have accumulated, yes. Yeah, some have commu- have accumulated dollars very similar to yours, and they run into the issue of what about? As a matter of fact, we have more clients that achieve it under 59 and a half than afterwards. And so the question is, what do we do if we make it before our retirement age? And that's where the fun part is. You can do it. You can achieve your lifetime goals without having to wait until retirement age.
2: What do okay, they great. say? Mazelto, muzzle tov. <laughs> just, Well, thank you. Just keep accumulating and... Uh, um, call us at the office, and we'll be happy to send you some information and uh, um, possibly set up a time where we can look at this in more detail uh, to help you realize your uh, financial planning goals. All right. Thanks, Thank you. Beth, Linda. Ha- Appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. Have a great week. You back. Thank you. You're listening to Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you'd like to join us on the show, you can call us on the open lines. Maybe you've been thinking about retiring or uh, working with a financial planner that can assist you in addressing the questions that you have in your situation. Sometimes it has to do with cash flow planning. And on the other hand, it could be, what about college funding? And like John and his wife, who have two young children, you want to make sure that you've accumulated enough to finance their education. If you want to accumulate enough to be
3: financially independent... Call me, Deborah Lewis, at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: Well, there's so many ways to achieve the goals that people don't know about. Section 72T is a tax... I mean, it's like having a quiver with a lot of arrows, but many people don't know the arrows that are in the quiver. There are ways to take care of college education. There are ways to avoid the income tax problem. There are ways to avoid selling real estate and paying capital gains. There's all these strategies that are out there that people don't know because they're so used to dealing with stockbrokers that are trying to sell them some sort of an investment instead of how to do planning.
2: You know, Doug, uh, it was interesting that uh, our last caller, John, just said that uh, I believe when his wife left her job that she left the money in her 401k. But, uh, you know, uh, when you separate from your employer, it's important to remember that um, you know, when you while you're working, the admin, the plan administrator has a plan and a ex a certain number of investment choices that they can make uh, within the particular plan that the uh, employer, uh, you know, has for their employees. But once you separate from your company, you then have access to having control over your money and you, you should never roll it
1: over you should right? never leave it. we're seeing more and more articles on what's wrong with the 401k market how about employers that are actually rating the 401ks what about the fees that are inside the 401k so many articles are hitting the press now about the 401k arena so when you have the legal right to do a rollover away from your 401k and not pay taxes absolutely linda Anybody who doesn't do it is making a serious mistake,
2: and that's part of the whole process of financial planning, isn't it, doug? to to look at all the issues that may be, you know, on the checklist or something that you procrastinated and um, finally, get answers to those questions that you have. And it may be, uh, drawing up a will, especially when you have young children, making sure that your estate planning issues are addressed as well. Uh, whether or not you have adequate insurance coverage. Your employer may give you a certain benefit, but is that enough
1: if you should predecease your spouse, right, Doug? Yeah. Have you noticed, Linda, recently the different age groups of clients that have been coming to see us? We've seen some clients recently. As old as their mid 80s, right? Yes, we should. And some as young as their late 30s. It's like all of a sudden, uh, the wake up call is reaching a lot of people that it's never too early to start planning, it's never too late to start planning. Just do it.
2: And it's everybody, you know, it's the young couples. Uh, the two income earners, sometimes uh, it's the widows and it's the uh, people in pre-retirement planning mode, but also the retirees who really uh, are interested in looking at their situation to make sure that everything's in order so that they can continue to enjoy uh, whatever stage it is that they are in. Well, Doug, um, what about that article about Don't rock the boat.
1: Well, that also was an interesting article because this was some financial writer's attempt to uh, reduce the risks of income during retirement. And it, it approached the problem, but the solutions were all wrong so often. One of the solutions was, well... With income down so bad, you need to find a way to get a fixed income during your retirement years, so go for annuities. Bad decision. Bad decision. I could not agree with that when I read the article. That is not what you want to be doing, paying an insurance company high fees to turn around and give you back an income stream. And then another way was to find diversification, they said, by putting in uh, ETFs in your portfolio. Again, bad decision. The ETFs are a very high-risk, expensive way to deceive yourselves, in my opinion. That was not it. And then there was one interesting thing that they pointed out in the article. It was beware against being too conservative. And that was good. Because the too conservative was, if you put everything in CDs, you're going to have no income. And if you thought you were being real conservative in the past, suddenly your income is dried up as the CDs are maturing. So the attempt to find the solution was there. But I don't think they have the right answers. There was another article that did approach it right by categorizing the expenses. I liked that article. I don't remember which one it was, Linda, but it was very good. It was an article we found that said this growing urgency of people looking for income investments is making them take crazy risks. And that's true. And the answer... in Being reckless, right? It was being reckless. But the answer that I did like was categorize your expenses. I like that because once you know what your expenses are according to certain categories, then you can approach solving the uh, the certain type of expense. Now, in our office, do you remember the three categories we use, Linda, in terms of expense categorizations?
2: Um, well, it's the recurring monthly expenses. Right. That's your RMEs. And then the non-monthly uh, fixed expenses. Right. Like if you're paying your property taxes or your auto insurance, et cetera.
1: Semi-annual or something like exactly. that. Exactly.
2: And then we have the discretionary.
1: Uh, Examples of discretionaries would be?
2: Well, uh, entertainment, uh,
1: um, gifts. Gifts. Uh, vacations. Vacations, etc. Yeah, and usually entertainment, I include that as an RME in most people because, you know, how many times you and your wife go out to the museum or you go to the concerts or what your entertainment is, that's usually for most folks, that's under RMEs. But the reason I like to recategorize is the big expense category is very often the non-monthly stuff that hits. We call them discretionaries, but as you said, vacations, gifts, clothing, things like that.
3: If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us, set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: The way to solve this income problem in the present investment world is to try and match the RMEs, the recurring monthly income, with part of the portfolio that produces a predictable income
2: recurring monthly expenses you
1: mean did i say it wrong
2: yeah you said recurring monthly income
1: thank you the recurring to match the recurring monthly expenses with a recurring monthly income from investments and as we build this investment portfolio for the clients we need to go ahead and look at that aspect match the recurring monthly expenses with the income component coming off of the investment portfolio. And then for the non-monthly expenses, the discretionaries, do you know how we solve that issue?
2: How do we solve that issue, Doug?
1: We dip into the portfolios on an as-needed basis, usually into the mutual funds. So have we, I like the approach of let's categorize expenses and then go for income. And then we can see, well, what about REITs? What do are, what are they give in the way of income? They're giving a nice income stream, a nice high monthly income stream and so forth. And now there were some articles about income where I was sort of uh, weirded out when I heard some of the things that people are doing trying to get <laughs> income.
2: Yeah, I guess that was in the weekend investor. Would you lend money to these people? So what's happening? Yeah, uh, that uh, was the- again. As you said, people are looking for ways to get income. And so sometimes they're falling into the peer-to-peer lending market. And that can be dangerous.
1: Yeah, that that's attracting more and more attention for people, again, because there's no way to get income. So they're saying, well, how about making personal loans? And there is this new market approaching. They call it the peer-to-peer lending market. And uh, they had examples of a person who was willing to pay 12% interest. For a $4,000 loan, their credit score was 780, and uh, bad credit history. Another one, a guy had gone through bankruptcy. He's willing to pay 31% to borrow $5,000. His credit score was 600 and something. Uh, Different ones, but that peer-to-peer lending market, that, I had a big, no, 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 (laughs) beware. This is unregulated areas, and we don't need to do that. There are a lot of areas in the investment world where income is still quite nice, quite high, without taking the risks that people think.
2: Thank you for joining us on Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.
3: So, this is Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call me this week. Let's sit down and discuss your situation. I'd love to hear from you. It's 919 872 7000. 919 872 7000. Well, there was an article in the world of financial planning, and um, I really liked it. It was titled, entitled, Five Reasons to Consider Hiring a Financial Advisor. And I'm always looking for, um, I guess, easy, easy articles to point people to as to what other people are reading and writing about mm-hmm. in the world of financial planning. Because we're not the only voice out there, and we're not the only person who they often hear why they need a financial advisor, a financial planner, and why we're a little bit different than someone who you would just go to for one particular kind of advice, Mm -hmm. much more all-inclusive. And um, one of the things that they began with was that um, many people have sort of boiled it down to five good reasons for hiring a financial advisor.
1: Yeah, that article, if I'm not mistaken, came from U.S. News & World Report. And those five reasons were very solid reasons. The first reason was, the reason to hire a financial advisor, was that you have minor children and no written provisions for their care in the event that you or your spouse die. And that's a big one. That's a <clears throat> big one, yeah. Uh, having a professional nag regarding your financial affairs might be Just what you need to justify the fees of a financial advisor. So I think that was a very good number one. You've got minor children and you have no written provisions for their care in the event that you or your spouse die. Number
3: two was you make your 401k choices based on the top performing plan choices from the prior quarter. And when you hire a financial advisor, I think that's the biggest thing that someone can really give you is a much more long term view on how the performance is you know, of, of any of your investments has been.
1: I've been really pleased recently with the younger clients that are coming to us for financial advice. We used to only see financial planning clients in their late 50s, early 60s, and mm-hmm. so forth. And here, these ones are coming in in their 40s and everything. But when I look at their 401ks mm-hmm. and I ask them, well, why did you make this choice or why do you have these? It's almost as if they threw a dart and they just... uh took random choices and everything. But the second reason for hiring a financial advisor is really just, I think just that, that uh, you shouldn't be making choices on the basis of what happened last quarter. I like to look at, first of all, managers. If we're just going to have one of these target date funds, I think those are, I don't want to say too bad things on the air, but I just don't like them because we need to see a manager and a track record of mm-hmm. a manager and not over the last person's quarter. person's
3: ability to pick uh, stocks and bonds and have a real, readable performance track record that we can look at
1: and say That's right. how well
3: that person has done.
1: Yeah, not just what happened last quarter, but what happened last year and the year before and the year before. Let's have maybe a 15-year track record.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 Or visit our website, dougandlinda.com.
1: The second reason was just that in that article was that people make 401k choices based on the top performing plan from the previous quarter.
3: Yeah. I think the third one is probably the biggest reason why people call is into our office. And they said, I really need a financial plan. They will often say to me, I really need a financial planner because my financial goals are just really sort of a vague hope that one day I'll get there. (laughs) And retirement is sort of just a word. I know I need to be able to support myself, but I need some real help fine tuning a plan. I need to
1: come up with some action items on getting there. You know, a comfortable retirement or the desire to pay for four years of college for your children, they may be admirable aspirations, but they're not goals unless they're quantified and they have a time frame attached to them. Furthermore, you'll need to track progress against these goals over time and devise savings and investing strategies to meet these goals. But if you're not able to do it yourself, or you don't want to devote the time to do it, then you should definitely consider hiring a financial planner.
3: Yeah, uh, th- th- we had recently had someone uh, come in and actually see us, and you'll, you'll know who I'm talking about. And, and while he's a professional, even in the investment world, in mm-hmm. the financial world, yeah. um, was just very happy to pay for a professional second opinion. And that I think is is a lot of putting that uh, financial goal into reality. Let's you know, let me hire a professional financial planner to help me formalize my real retirement plan.
1: I respected him very much. Yes. because he had been in the profession doing it himself, yes, uh, uh, at the institutional level for maybe fifteen years right. or more, as I recall. But I really respected his realization that he needs a planner, right. Fourth reason as I recall from that article was that people's investment portfolio really is just a collection of accounts and holdings with no rhyme or reason. It's what I might call financial clutter. There's just a a mishmash of all kinds of stuff, but there's no plan. There's no uh, asset allocation model. There's no goal uh, approach and monitoring of it and so forth.
3: I think we see this frequently. While they might have done a very good job in accumulating, and now they have something to work with, which is outstanding. You save enough money, and even if it's just cash, it's cash, and you can now invest it properly. Mm -hmm. But when you do have that mishmash of stuff, it tends to make you feel like the whole financial planning process is overwhelming? And how do I get started? And at the very least, if you meet with a financial planner, you'll at least be able to itemize those things out properly, get a good sense of what your real financial statement looks like. And the fifth, I think, let's see here. It was, if you're capable of handling your, your, your own finances, you just might not have ne- ever gotten around to it. And so, ha- you know, hiring a financial planner, to do what you possibly could be able to do for yourself might really just be worth the time.
1: You know, Debs, I have several clients who are intellectually capable of handling their financial planning and investment needs. And in some cases, they're just too busy with their careers and Mm -hmm. families to focus sufficient attention here. Then I have others that like the idea of an independent view of their situation. And then there are others who just uh, are not really enjoying it. It's not something they really get up in the morning enjoying, but your financial future is too important to put on the back burner. So uh, I liked the article, five reasons that you should hire a financial planner. And I think uh, a lot of news out there is negative. This was a very positive article.
3: If you don't have a certified financial planner to work with, if you haven't met with a certified financial planner, call me, Deborah Lewis at Lewis financial Management. 919-872-7000. It might be the most important call that you make this year. 919-872-7000.
1: This is Doug Lewis. How can I help you?
5: Doug, uh, I'm 75 years old plus, retiree, of course. And I've got one mutual fund that's uh, uh, equity funds, you know, 50-50 stocks and bonds. It's the big one out in California. And I got about uh, 100000 plus that's in uh, money market funds. And I got... uh, A uh, NC Bond fund with another outfit and all. So my question, I guess, is should I take some of that mutual fund and maybe diversify it somewhat in some of the other things that are a little bit more aggressive, maybe in like Latin America and stuff like this?
1: All right. Well, one thing uh, you're saying some good. You're putting out some good questions. I'm not really comfortable with some of your answers but i like your questions because they're very they're good questions al they really are before i give you some answers let me get some facts about you yeah you're 75 years old you married a single married you're married how old's your wife uh 74 she's 74 now the uh income that y'all have to live on where's the income coming from pension pension how much is your pension income uh 12, approximately plus. about twelve thousand. yeah all right uh, where uh, any other income? Well, Social Security. Of course. What's your Social Security? A total. Yeah.
5: About uh, about eighteen five.
1: About eighteen thousand five hundred. Any other income? Well, then I'm taking the
5: the uh, quarterly uh, uh, dividends from the uh, bar, from the income front.
1: Right. Okay. So before investment income, you've got about thirty thousand five hundred coming in. Yeah. Okay. What about expenses?
5: Well, home's paid for. No, no expenses. Just. No, you
1: know. no, mortgage. So you've got your regular living expenses. About how much do you think you live on monthly?
5: Oh, probably uh, a thousand.
1: Okay, so about twelve thousand a year, maybe yeah. fifteen thousand. By the time you add some vacations or travel, right, you
5: got it done.
1: All right. Okay. So the total the total asset base you're looking at for investment purposes is about two hundred twenty five thousand.
5: Yeah, for investment purposes, right?
1: Okay. Nothing should have everything of yours. So right. you're absolutely right when you say, uh, "Should you diversify?" The answer is yes. We had Michael Hirsch, I, in my opinion, the nation's leading expert on mutual funds, uh, here uh, for an hour on the air, about an hour and a half. Missed and it. yeah, he has three rules for investing in mutual funds: yeah. diversify, diversify, diversify. Right. The other thing that you don't uh, that I don't like is your money market. You've right. got a hundred thousand dollars in cash. That's also wasted. Right. All right. So the first thing you want to do is you want to develop what we call an asset allocation model.
5: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you want to back into that model by subtracting, first of all, how much cash do I need to keep in what we call an emergency fund? Sure. Now An emergency fund is determined by your living expenses and your income. If your income far exceeds your expenses, which it does, then you can go to the low end spectrum of the emergency fund. We usually use three to six months right well, that's what I thought about yeah. all right so even if you took if you took three months you're only talking about three thousand yeah. dollars if you took six months you took six thousand dollars so I could be real wild and crazy right. and keep ten thousand yeah. bucks in your money right. market fund and leave 90 left over Righto okay
3: and if you need advice, call me during the week nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand that's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand
1: so we got ninety thousand dollars plus your hundred and twenty five thousand which means We have uh, $215,000 for an asset allocation model. Yeah. All right. So that's where we start. We start with this asset allocation model. Now, what I would do in developing this model, I would, by the way, there are three methods of asset allocation practice today by different financial planners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you the first two very quickly because I don't like them. But the first one is the single investment, safest investment method, where we're going to find the safest investment we can and put 100% in it. I don't like that because we only know what wasn't safe after we found out it wasn't safe. Got gotcha. All right. The second method is the diversification method sure. using a debt to equity ratio, putting more in high risk and less in low risk. Again, I don't like that because we don't know again until afterwards what was high risk and low risk. Got it. The third method is the one I'm going to recommend to you called the uniform unit size. Uniform what? Uniform unit size. Yeah. The way I do this in my practice, I establish what I think is a proper unit size of investment and spread the risk equally to every investment in the fund, in the pool. Yeah. So if we have a portfolio of $215,000, yeah. then I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say, I think 20000 is a safe unit size. Yeah. And every investment I use in that in, in, in that portfolio is going to be 20000 But
2: Yeah, yeah. For so example, go- if your wife baked a pie and she wanted to serve everyone the same amount, she would slice up that pie, right? Right
1: on. <laughs> so I'm creating a pie. Right I'm creating a, right. I'm creating a pie with 10 slices. Everybody gets the same amount, right? Right, right, right Everybody out? has the same risk that they're going to stumble on the cherry pit in that cherry pie and broke a tooth. We don't know who's going to do it, but there's an equal risk. Maybe a little ice cream. Uh, maybe a right, little ice cream. Right, of course. Right. <laughs> now, I don't, I'm not so sure if I like the ice cream of that Latin American fund. That may be too rich for your diet. That oh, I'm not sure. Boy, su- it's, it's been hot lately. Okay. But on the other hand... If I'm starting with a twenty thousand dollar unit size in right. my asset allocation model for you, I would not move out of the family. No, no, no. But I would go ahead and pick up five other funds in the family. In the family. Yes, uh, in that family. I'm right with you. All right. Now, in selecting the funds in that family, I would use the help of a certified financial planner because uh, they have different betas. Yeah. Betas, the volatility, and their different right. suitabilities. Right, right. For right. You. I'm with you. So we'd want to look closely at those different funds in uh, in those to see which ones met what we were looking for right. in building the portfolio. But once I had done that much and gotten that 125 right. spread over six twenties, yeah, I got it. Then I would go and pick up the other uh, ninety thousand and build it into the portfolio. And the whole key is this matter of the asset allocation model. Yep.
2: Right, right. Al, if you have any further questions or any specific right. questions about uh some possible recommendations as to an asset allocation regarding your your portfolio i would jot those down and if you'd like to call me at the office here in raleigh the number is eight seven two seven thousand. that's usa 7000
5: yeah thank you for calling you got it
2: with regard to ira distributions when a person becomes uh 70 and a half how do you know how to take the money out of your ira
1: that's a real interesting question. A lot of people want to know, don't they, Linda? You know, an IRA is a very interesting uh, vehicle because you need to know how to get the most out of it, and it depends on what age you are. First of all, uh, there are three methods that let you get money out of an IRA penalty-free. Did you know that? You can get money out of an IRA before you're 59 and a half years old and pay no 10% penalty, and this is important for people who are taking early retirement. They want to know what do I do? I'm taking early retirement, but is there a way that I can get to my IRA or my 401k or my TDSP and not pay that 10% penalty? And yes, there is, and that's the substantially equal periodic payment story. Now there are three methods to compute this that this this feature available. But basically, what the what the rule says is that you can take money out of your IRA or your retirement plan penalty-free if you set up a payment schedule based on a single life expectancy or a joint life expectancy. And that payment must be made to you every year, at least annually. And they have to continue for the later of five years or up until age 59 and a half, whichever is the longest period. Now, if you fulfill those three methods, those three conditions, you don't have to worry about that 10% penalty. So
2: you have to fulfill those conditions.
1: Right. You've got to set up a payment schedule that never changes. Right. It's a fixed amount. huh? Right. And it's got to go until you're 59 and a half or five years, the longer of the two periods. But now that brings you down to what's that payment method? Well, um, what is? Well, Thanks. this is where the, the IRS gives you three choices.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face to face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919 That's nine one nine eight seven two
1: seven thousand. They give you, one, the life expectancy method. Number two, they give you the amortization method. And number three, they give you the annuitization method. And it's quite important to know how to work with those different formulas because you have three choices on setting this thing up. Life expectancy method? Yeah, it means how long you expect to live. The life expectancy method. This method is determined by dividing the individual's balance in his IRA by his life expectancy, uh, and you can also uh, include your, your spouse's life expectancy to get a joint life, and this amount has to be redetermined each year based on that amount and so forth. Now, this method is the same one that you use when you get to be 70 and a half, by the way. This is what we call the minimum distribution method. Uh, but this method, that, if you use this method, this will give the smallest dollar amount of the three. You got three methods you can choose. If you use the life expectancy method, and remember, once you set this method up, you can't change it. You can't change it. Once you set up this method, you can't change it for five years or age 59 and a half, the longer of the two periods. So it'll be the smallest
2: amount or the smallest. If you
1: use this, if you need a small figure, this would be the one to choose. Second method is called the amortization method. Now, the amortization method also gives you a level payment and it's determined by amortizing the balance over the life expectancy of the individual at what's called a reasonable interest rate. Now that reasonable interest rate is determined by IRS guidelines and they have a, they say that you can be anywhere within 80 to 120% of the federal midterm rate. So you can do some, you work with your financial planner and if you use the amortization method, you can sort of fudge a little bit here and there to find out what is the dollar amount you need for your living expenses to get out what you need because you can't change it. If you do change it, any time in that period, every dollar you've taken out in the past for the last X number of years is going to be hit with a 10% penalty. The third one is the annuitization method. This method also gives you level payments. And this method will work very similar to the amortization method. One of these two is going to be the best one for early retirees. It's got to be based on your living expense need whereas the first method is the best one for people 70 and a half. It's important to work with a financial planner to figure out what is best for you because you can't change it. Carol, I'll take your call now. How can I help you?
6: I appreciate you taking the call, sir. All right. I got a question about living trust. Yes, ma'am. I just recently closed an estate of an uncle who died, and I was an out-of-state resident from where he lived. Mm-hmm. And the fees I paid... For probate, to sell the house, to bonding and everything else just horrified me because everything was set. He had a neat will, there was no question among the inheritors or anything like this. But the fees we'd had to pay made me look into living trust.
1: How much was the estate, Carol?
6: About six hundred thousand.
1: What were the fees?
6: I think I paid up to about twenty four thousand.
1: That sounds about right. Okay.
6: So I thought about the Living Trust and I've been inquiring. Locally, about this kind of thing. I've read the books on it, and it sounds good. Uh-huh. But then I found out the bank says, well, we charge 2 to 3% of the value annually. Ouch. If I had $500,000 in an estate, uh-huh. that's not out of sight because of houses today. I'm going to be paying 5000 a year, 2 to 3%?
1: You're only getting half the picture, okay? mm mm-hmm. huh First of all, how much is the size of your estate?
6: Probably about 700000
1: What you want to do, number one, don't deal with the bank. Oh? Huh. A revocable living trust does not replace a will. No. this I this So, number two, you want to establish a revocable living trust today. Mm-hmm. How's your health? Excellent. All right. You want to go ahead and identify yourself as the trustee of this trust. Mm-hmm. And as the trustee, you will control everything.
6: Mm-hmm. I understand from what I've read. What
1: What do you own besides real estate?
6: Oh, Oh, two hundred fifty thousand in stock, two hundred fifty thousand T bills, odds and
1: ends, and unit trusts. All like right. That. If you want to go ahead, you can have the the ownership of your stocks. And your T-bills, you can have them transferred into the name of you as trustee Mm -hmm. for that trust. Yeah, this I understand. Well, so far, we haven't got a bank in any picture, do we? If you will call my office, I'll be happy to go ahead and help you set one of these up. We do these all the time for clients. We have uh, an attorney that either your attorney or we select an attorney who drafts the document. We then transfer the ownership of your assets into the ownership of your trust with you as trustee.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: Any uh, of your stocks, if they're held at a brokerage account or if they're mutual funds, we simply have the ownership changed from your name individual to trustee. But as far as the establishment of the Revocable Living Trust... Mm-hmm. You do not have to have a bank involved at all. I'll be done. And in your revocable living trust, you should have it designated that you have the North Carolina health care powers of attorney provisions written uh, written in there. You should have living will provisions put in there. I
6: have those already.
1: You You should also have. Credit shelter trust provisions built into your revocable living trust document, because as you know, a a revocable living trust does not save estate taxes.
2: Carol, uh, we did have one client that who within the last month, and she's, uh, I think, about 69, and she had one of these revocable living trusts set up for her her estate, Mm -hmm. and she does not have any children, Mm -hmm. but she did incorporate the setting up of, you know, the trust in her estate planning in with her financial planning as well. Because what we find is that individuals that have accumulated a certain amount of assets want to protect it. Yeah,
6: I'm I'm a little amazed when I retired and find out what I had.
2: Yeah. Do you have children, Carol? No.
1: Okay. Well, there are things that you might want to also incorporate into total financial planning, such as long-term nursing care insurance protection. You want to cover asset allocation of your investments. I. I don't have time on the air, but I would question right away why a lady like yourself has $250,000 in the stock market. That sounds a little risky to me.
6: No, that's about one-third of my estate. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, But in any case...
6: It's grown through the years. I've been planning. Mm -hmm. And it started out 20 years ago with my husband's life insurance. Yeah, and uh, boy, I'm amazed at what it is now. I can't sell anything. It's all capital
1: gains. Uh, <laughs> well, I can show you a way to sell it and pay no capital gains also.
6: Now, what's uh, that number I should
2: call? <laughs> okay, that number, Carol, here in Raleigh is 919 872 7000. 872
6: 7000.
2: That's USA 7000.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
6: All right, very good. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for, for your calling. Time.
1: Thank you, Carol. Bye bye. Well, that's all the money matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.